This time of year, our skin gets so dry, especially for those of us who live in cold climates. So I couldn't live without One Earth Body Care. Their Skin Fix, which is great for your entire body. It's a thick, wonderful salve. You can rub it in your hands to soften it, and it makes your skin amazing. There's a day and night facial oil, which I use every day and night, and it really, really has helped my skin. There's a sleep balm that is also a salve consistency that has lavender and other things to help you relax. Of course, my all-time favorite is their natural deodorant because I am no longer smelly. If you've got a baby, they've got a baby butt saver. The other thing that has completely transformed my hair is their shampoo and conditioner bars. They've got Skin Fix for Pets, which has helped my glue stop eating his paws all the time or nibbling on them. And of course, they also have a pet shampoo bar. Please check them out at OneEarthBodyCare.com. Hi, I'm Lisa Davis. So glad you're listening to Health Power. If you listen to the show, I was raised by a health nut mom. So I eat as much sugar as possible when I would go to my friends' houses and having a daughter of my own, I actually became a health food mom. And I tried to do it in a more careful way where I didn't have her wanted even more. So trying to get things that still had a little sugar, but less. But then really at the end of the day, sugar is just not good for us. And it's such a hard thing. So I am so excited to have the fantastic Nicola Vina, PhD, a pioneering research neuroscientist and expert in the fields of nutrition, diet, and addiction, who will be talking about her book, I love this book, Sugarless, a seven-step plan to uncover hidden sugars, curb your cravings, and conquer your addiction. Dr. Avina, welcome. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Happy to be here. It's great to have you on. So, you know, I mentioned at the beginning, there's this balance of if you take something away too much, they want it more, right? But if you give it to people, they want it more. (laughs) So talk to us about that conundrum. Yeah, it's so true. And I have little kids myself, so I can relate on the parental (laughs) level to this too. You know, I think that when it comes to what we're talking about in terms of sugar, it's so important that we just are able to maintain control over how much we're eating. And I think as adults, many of us have found that, you know, we're out of control because it's so pervasive in our society and we're just eating it for a variety of different reasons. I talk in the book about how it can lead to addiction and that makes it difficult to cut back. But for kids, I think it's really important, you know, to focus on teaching our kids how to eat it in moderation. Because I think, you know, people talk about it all the time, but it's something that I think kids need to be taught and learn to set their own limits so that they don't overdo it when mom's not watching. Yeah, exactly. I think that's so important. You know, in the book, you write sugar has, it has been around for centuries. And for most of that time, we have lived in harmony with it. But then, but that suddenly is changing. What's going on? Well, you know, it's interesting. I have a husband who loves history. And so I get forced to watch all these like history documentaries all the time (laughs) on TV. And so one thing that I learned in doing research for the book was historically sugar is really interesting. And it was very rare. Right. People in the Victorian times used to have sugar maybe two or three times a year. I mean, it was a delicacy. And that has changed so much compared to what we're seeing now where, you know, sugar is basically in almost everything that we eat. It's so pervasive. And so while we develop this sort of preference for sugar and, you know, we evolved to like the taste of sugar because fruits are sweet, that's safe. They're good for us to eat. Breast milk right. is sweet. The first thing oh, we yeah. have to eat. But 
we have that primitive drive to like things that are sweet, mm-hmm. but now right. it's not necessarily good for us because we're eating so much of it all the time, day in and day out. Yeah. And you talk about in your book, you talk about how our brains are being blasted with sugar and you talk about that connection to what happens with drugs like cocaine and heroin. Talk to us about this. Yeah. So that's how I got interested in this. So we were studying in my laboratory, the effects that sugar has on the brain and whether or not those effects were like what you'd see with other drugs of abuse, like cocaine or alcohol. And what we found is that the criteria that are used to diagnose someone as having an addiction to drugs or alcohol are also seen in response to sugar. And so binging, craving, withdrawal, the release of certain neurochemicals like dopamine and endogenous opioids in the brain can happen in response to eating sugar. And it used to be thought that these were things that only happened when somebody was addicted to a drug or alcohol. But now we're seeing that it's also happening with sugar. And that's part of the reason why it's so difficult for people to reduce their intake. Yeah, it absolutely is. And I think what's great, you know, looking through the table of contents in your book, you have how sugar causes you to overeat and harms your health, sugar hiding in plain sight, sugar is addictive. We have a short time today. I'm hoping you'll come back because I want to go through every single chapter. But let's talk about the addictive element. You had just mentioned that. And I think that's what's so hard is that, you know, people say, well, just how you don't have any willpower. Why can't you just try harder? Who cares if your husband or maybe he's, you know, well, I'm, I want to buy the sugar. My husband's just got to suck it up, but it's not that easy. So talk to us about that. It's not. And that's actually how I got interested in this was, you know, thinking about the willpower piece. And back when I started research on this, it was back in the year 2001, people were talking about being overweight or obese as still being a moral failing or someone didn't have the willpower. And to me, it seemed like there might be something else happening because we have our food environment that has all these engineered foods that are designed to be delicious and for us to like to eat them. And so, you know, we wondered if maybe the food and the sugar in particular was causing people to become overweight or obese, not their willpower, but the fact that they literally would just get hooked on these foods. Yeah. And so that's, I think the challenge is, you know, we're talking about the fact that something like drugs and alcohol, if someone's addicted to those things, it can be extremely difficult. But they don't have them advertised to them all the time. They don't have people offering them them all the time. They don't have to walk through the grocery store and, you know, see an 80% of the products contain it. And it makes it really difficult for people who are trying to cut back and who are addicted because it's not something that you can necessarily avoid. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's everywhere. And I have to say, I'm just not a fan of those food scientists just making everything more palatable, or I can think they call it super palatable. It's, I think it's kind of evil, to be honest. It's really ruining health. Yeah. For for so many. I I agree with you on that. I mean, I'm a scientist, and I got to say that. Oh, I love scientists. I just meant that specific food (laughs) science. No, I mean, just because we have the technology and the ability. Yeah. something doesn't mean we should. Right. Doesn't make it okay. And I think that's what's happened. We've gotten too extreme. Yes. And yes. Processing food, that's great. It's great that we learned how to can our vegetables so that we wouldn't starve in the winter. That's yep. processing. It's great that we learned how to peel a banana because nobody wants to eat the skin because it's not good for you. <laughs> that we, you know, developed fire so we could cook meat so we don't get sick from eating raw meat. Right. But, you know, that's processing. And now we've like swung completely the other way where we're so ultra processed that the food isn't even recognizable as food to me anymore. It's a bunch of ingredients that, you know, are being masqueraded as a food. 
Exactly. You know, some of the other things you cover in your book are breaking your dependence on sugar, handling the hurdles, triggers, withdrawal, and cravings. And then you have have how to manage the three S's, stressors, setbacks, and social pressure. If you go to a party and you say, oh, I'm an alcoholic or I'm in recovery, no one's pushing drinks on you. But if you say, oh, I just don't want the cake. Oh, you're not fat. Oh, you're fine. Or what are you thinking? Or, you know, there's like this pressure. So talk to us about that. Yeah. So that's a big one. And I think that, you know, as a psychologist, this is something that I really spend a lot of time in the book going through because I want people to understand, you know, where this comes from and why people have this sort of like desire to get you to join in with them if they're having cake or if they're having ice cream or dessert and why also it's so difficult for us to resist. Like, you know, certain people, and we all know them and we admire them are just like, nah, I'm good. Like they they have no problem, but a lot of people really get pulled in by that social, you know, pressure that comes Mm -hmm. about. And yeah. so I think that that does make it difficult. And I give a lot of tips in the book about, you know, how to avoid those things from happening and, you know, really how to address them. And I think it boils down to, you know, being willing to have to put yourself out there. And what I tell people is, especially if you're in a group, when you go out to dis- to dinner, for example, if you're that one lone person that's like, I'm good, I'm not having dessert, I'm full, guarantee there are another person in their group that also feels the same way, but they probably yeah. don't have the courage yet mm-hmm. forward and be that one person right. who against the group. So again, it sounds silly. It's just dessert, but it's more than that. It It's really sort of setting the tone for your approach and your attitude toward the foods that you're putting in your body. Just right. like I have these conversations with my kids all the time about how, you know, we don't give into peer pressure. Like if friends want us to drink or friends want us to try drugs or pills or something, Like we don't do it. Right. For people who are really struggling with an addiction where they don't have control over their sugar intake, a lot of these alternative sweeteners like allulose, monk fruit, stevia, you know, they have a place in the sense that if they can help you to psychologically break up with all that added sugar and you could use some of that as a way to kind of bridge you. Right. That can be useful, but I don't think that should be the end point. I think the end point should be really trying to de-sweeten our diet to begin with and not necessarily need to have sweetness in everything. But, you know, there are some of these sweeteners, like for instance, allulose. Allulose is really an important sweetener for people who have type 1 diabetes because it doesn't have the same effect on blood sugar as many of the other sweeteners that are out there. So, you know, if that's your goal is to maybe regulate your blood sugar for various reasons, then maybe that can be a sweetener that would be beneficial. But again, I think from the standpoint of trying to reduce our societal addiction to sugar, I think it's more important to really focusing on reducing, reducing, reducing the sweetness in general. I'm curious, you know, when I do try the cold turkey method, for me, it didn't, it doesn't work. So what do you recommend to people? So in my book, Sugarless, I do not recommend cold turkey. It's actually the opposite of cold turkey. And I talk about why cold turkey, it it can work for some people. And if you're extremely, extremely addicted to sugar and processed foods, many cases, that's the only thing that works. But I just find that for the average person who's struggling with this, Mm -hmm. that the cold turkey approach just kind of sets you up for failure because it's so rigid and it's also really difficult to interpret because how do you know, you know, 
if sugar's in something. I mean, if you go out to a restaurant, unless you That's go in kitchen and ask the chef and watch them prepare the food. I mean, you don't know where the sugar is. So yeah. you, you can passively be eating sugar and not even know it. And so what does that mean for your cold turkey approach? So I recommend more of a harm reduction approach, which is- I love harm reduction. Oh my God. I, yeah. I studied that when I got my MPH. I'm a big fan of it. Yeah. And I really think, especially with this, it's yes. the best approach because look, we need to eat to survive. There's no, you know, it's different with drugs and alcohol. Like I can point to you where all the drugs are. I can point to you where the alcohol is. I don't need to necessarily worry that there's somebody's going to put like cocaine in my hamburger or something right. like that. But I do need to think about the fact that somebody's potentially putting sugar in, you know, the ketchup that's on my hamburger, right? Oh, that's yeah. Reality. So a harm reduction approach where it's a stepwise approach. I walk people through, I have a seven step plan, how to identify the sugars, how to systematically reduce them or replace them with other things that aren't necessarily sweeteners, but just, you know, things that are going to help you feel full and satisfied and enjoy the food. And then how to maintain that because this has got to be sustainable. I mean, the whole cold turkey thing, I don't know. I think I can do anything for 30 days if you really, really forced me to. But yeah. I don't want to do it for 30 days. I want to do it for the rest of my life. Right. And I love my dark chocolate. And I have tried sweet other chocolates sweetened with, you know, other things, stevia, whatever. It it doesn't work for me. So I'll try yeah. to go 70 or above. Yeah. And then I feel like it's not I just I have a chocolate drawer. I need to move it to a chocolate shelf I can't reach, although I have very long arms because <laughs> I, I end up eating way too much. I wish I could keep you longer. I hope you'll come back because we literally just scratched the surface. Uh tell us all the ways we can find you in your fantastic book. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'll be back anytime you like. Yay. I love talking about this. So the book is Sugarless. It's out in stores now, wherever books are sold. You can find it on Amazon, Barnes and Nobles. So you can also find it on my website. DrNicoleLavina.com. There's all kinds of information there for people who are interested in learning more. And you can find me on social as well at Dr. Nicole Lavina. All right. Dr. Nicole, it's been such a pleasure having you on. Everybody get this book. It's fantastic. Everybody keep coming back to Health Power five days a week. Have a great day. Well, that's it for our show today. Thank you so much for listening. We appreciate you. And we would appreciate it if you could please rate and review and leave a comment because the more you engage with our podcast, the more you will find it and help other people find it wherever they listen to their podcast. So be sure to follow us. I'm at Andrea Donsky and at Naturally Savvy and Lisa at Lisa Davis MPH. Thank you so much. And please share this episode because the more you share shows you care. We'll see you next time.